Welcome to Rock Solid Ministries Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our free revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at www.rocksolidministries.org. Again, rocksolidministries.org. Our guest today is Wes Beasley, former missionary and current elder at Antioch Christian Church in Hickory, Mississippi. I think we met for the first time uh, when I was preaching revival at Antioch Church last year. Is that right, Wes? I think so, yeah. I've learned a lot more about you this year, and I'm looking forward to squeezing in as much of your adventurous life as we possibly can into our allotted time for this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna, I want to turn over to you, uh, Brother Wes. Tell us your story. I am uh, a son of a missionary, son of a preacher. People often ask me when I'm asked to speak to give a short bio of my education and motivation, and I more or less say that both of those, the motivation and the education, come from my parents. Yeah. They were godly people, and uh, I learned a lot from both of them. My mother taught me how the fruits of the Spirit are lived out in, in a Christian's life. Yeah. She showed the character of Christ in the way she lived her life. And my dad... <clears throat> I think he gave me the most important thing about getting an education when he said, never stop learning. And so I, I applied that to my life. Uh, when I was young, I was the son of a missionary, as I said, and I was commissioned in, in this very church building. Next, and the church was very gracious. I was already a teenager, so they had me come to the front with my mom and dad. And they commissioned all three of us, not just mom and dad, but me too. And it was good because when I went down to Chile with my parents, I was allowed to be a part of the ministry. I was uh, mentored by my dad in in Christian ministry there. And I took part in a lot of ways that uh, I hadn't expected to and and physical things like helping to build a, a church building there, but also doing Bible lessons with the kids, taking care of uh, setting up the church building before the church started, because we actually lived in the church building. Oh. And every time I would get to take part in that, it was affirming my desire to be a servant of God. You know, growing up in a Christian home, I became a Christian so early that my main motivation was, was not so much forgiveness of sins, which I received, but it was to become a part of the family of God. My father read out of the Bible regularly, almost every day, and talked about the scriptures around the meals. And one of the things he said is, Behold what manner of love the Father has showered on us, that we would be called the children of God. And I I think that's what I wanted more than anything when I became a Christian. I wanted to be a part of the family. And as I took part in the ministry in Chile, I was, I was a part of the ministry family as well. And one of the great things that happened in Chile is that I met my wife. The best place for a missionary to meet a wife is on the mission field. <laughs> and I can top that. I met my wife on the mission field 
when she was cooking. Oh. She was cooking breakfast when we came in the room. And, hey, she's a great cook. I've had a meal oh, at your home. Oh, my, yes. yes. Uh, we got to know each other. I fell in love first. <laughs> After several questions like, would you marry me? <laughs> no, you're too young. We, we have a, an age difference. Yeah. I kept on asking, and finally she said yes. And we came back to the United States, and I was still young enough that I was had to graduate from high school and then go to college. And before I went to college, she said, said yes, and we were married in 1969. So it's been 52 years now that we've been married. And I think... When I first started going to college, I entered in what I call my Jonah period, <laughs> because after I'd been going to college about a year and a half, I kept thinking, what am I doing here? My wife is working every day, and I'm just going to school. And so, <laughs> it's embarrassing to say this, but without even talking to her, I went out one day and joined the Army. Oh, you did that? that get you in trouble? Oh, still. <laughs> she still brings that one out. <laughs> but as God does so often, the things that we intend for one purpose, for us, selfish or even evil, he turns around for good. And when I was in the army, I was right in the middle of it in every way. I was ready to go forward. And God sent something to me that got my attention. He sent me a, a, a tumor in my spinal cord and I was paralyzed for about a year. And during that time, the doctor had time to give me the two big questions. You may die. Are you ready? Wow. I'm thinking, well, yes, eternally perhaps, but this isn't where I want it to end. And he also said, well, you're not going to die, but you'll never walk again. So we're putting you out of the army on medical retirement, and I got a pension from that. And so, from now, that how old point, would you have been at that point? About twenty-five. Wow! So it was it was a maturing experience, and more than maturing, it was it was settling for me. It settled the notion that I just keep chasing my own uh, plans and ways, or do I do I seek? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yeah. You just preached on that last night. And yep. you talked about uh, Matthew 6.33. That's always been one of the key verses of, of my life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And you know, it's not just a sweet verse. That's, that's You can sing a song with. It really is a verse to struggle with. That yes. we, we need to wrestle with that verse and, and understand what it means. It's powerful. It's, yeah. the, it's the Word of God reaching out to your heart, and in my case, kind of shaking me a little bit Yeah. and saying, what do you want to do with life? Right. You've tried this. You've run away to Nineveh. Now you're through with the big fish, <laughs> but now you're you're up on the shore kind of covered with, with junk. Right. And you're shaking your head. I'm I'm thinking, what do I do now? And so Alton and I came back to Mississippi. We uh, started going to this very church here at Antioch for a short time after, after we were married. So we came back to it afterwards. And 
we moved a little closer to Jackson and went to the Southeast Church there. Mm-hmm. And I kept participating in camp and other activities, other ministries. And one year I asked one of my friends, I am so busy getting teachers. Would you get me a missionary? He said, sure. And Al Hamilton shows up. Oh, my goodness. Well, now I know why you went in the mission field. (laughs) Well, it was like, it was like inevitable. It was, he is, he's one of those guys where, why not, Wes? Why not? Yeah. And I had sort of fought against the idea of ministry because I didn't, I didn't feel like I was a preacher. Right. I still am not very good at when I preach, but I enjoy it. But he's, he said, there's a new ministry starting up called Pioneer Bible Translators. And I said, well, what's that? And what's, what's going on? And he kept us, because I went and got Alta and said, come out here. We'll talk about this after the kids have gone to sleep. And we talked for two hours in the dead of night. And I kept thinking, Lord, I never thought I was right for preaching. But the more I hear of this ministry of Bible translation, the more I think, you designed me for this ministry. And I thought, this must be what you want us to do. Alta had always been praying, Lord, get this guy's head on straight and send us back. And she was always thinking we'd go to a Spanish-speaking mission field because we're both fluent in Spanish. Right. But the Lord threw this thing in front of us as a challenge. And Al Al was a very good prophet, a very good evangelist. He was speaking to us in our heart. And I said, Alta, we need to do this. And she said, okay. Because it had always been her prayer, let's get back to ministry because she was a missionary in Chile when I first met her. That's her heart. We trained for that and within just a few months, less than two years, we were on the field. In 1979, we, we arrived in Papua New Guinea with our two young sons and we started looking for a place where we could do Bible translation. We've... I. The guy that the doctor said, you'll never walk again. I'm, I must have walked hundreds of miles <laughs> through the jungle to Papua New Guinea. Yeah. And sometimes it wasn't an easy trail. It was, they, they liked to, to travel through the jungle and sometimes the jungle is so, so thick. The only place to walk is in the riverbed. So wow. we would walk up and down rivers. I slid down a lot of those because my balance <laughs> wasn't very good. But I also walked through swamps with the uh, bamboo bridges. Oh, my. And they were often six inches under the water, so I had to feel with my feet, which I can't feel with my feet very well because of my nerve damage. And I was also, almost all the time, the heaviest man in the party. All these thin, short Papua New Guinea guys would be walking in front of me, and the bamboo would go up and down. I'd get on it and then make those noises. Crack, crack. And more than once, I just jumped off to avoid getting the bridge broken. But we went to places that had never heard about Jesus, never had the Word of God in their language. 
And one time I went to this one village and there was a, there was a little hut at the edge of the village. And I asked the man who was with me, what is this? this he said, this is the house of the talking yam. I said, the okay. talking yam? Yeah, I mean, as a missionary, you don't want to say things like, what in the world is that? Right. Or you can't mean that. You inquire. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Oh, this talking yam gives us advice on when to go hunting, when to plant. We just have to water it and keep it growing. So it's actually a, a yam. It was a big, fat. I didn't know if that was a, 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 a name for some seer or something. No, in the it's village. a 14-inch wide yam. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All the tendrils going up and the roots going down. Oh, no. <clears throat> I walked into the village and I went to the houseboy which is the place where all of the unmarried men and, and basically all the, the men gather there and sleep at night. And I looked up and there was a bundle up in the, in the peak of the roof. And I said, well, what's that? And they said, that is the skull of our dearly departed leader. He keeps watch over us. So in addition to the talking in, they also had an ancestor skull in the in the rafters. And so I started telling them about Bible translation. And one of the things they fear is people who want to just stir up trouble. So they asked me, Well, where are you coming from? Who are you who do you belong to? And what kind of worship and denomination are you? And I'm thinking, okay, I'm not with the yam. I'm not with the skull in the, in, the, in the rafters. I'm with Jesus. Right. So they knew about the Catholics. In fact, the Catholics had come through and had given gifts to them and sort of set up a, a worship there. So I said, I'm with the people who teach Jesus. And what I want to do is I want to give you the chance to hear the very words of Jesus that are written in his book. And all the teachings of God about how we as men should live. And that's what I would do in every village I went to. We stayed there from 1979 to 1992. And it was a wrenching experience at the end because the people that we were serving, the Kurti people, they began to fight amongst themselves about mm -hmm. land ownership and disrupted any sort of community work that was going on. So we had to leave. Oh, so it was tough, and I didn't know what to do. I was I was torn up. I told out that I can't keep wanting this. I have to accept the fact that it's the time is not now for them. And so we went back to the states, and lo and behold, <laughs> the Lord has a sense of humor. He gave me a job as a preacher. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh dear! <laughs> so I, I went to Alta's home church in Michigan, Spencer Church of Christ, and preached there for about seven years. Really? Preached with a great guy, Mike Steer, who was really into the idea of developing the local leadership and having Bible studies to start churches. And we even had a time where we we preached for a a, a brother brethren church that didn't have a preacher. Right. And that's another thing my dad had taught me. He'd preached in a lot of churches, and he, and he told me, you will always have an opportunity to preach if you preach the Bible and not any doctrinal that's what, creed. That's what my grandfather told me. And he said, never turn down a chance to preach to anybody. Yes. Any church that asks you, preach the word, but go into any church and any people that ask you to preach. 
Yes, and I yeah. and I told the brethren people, we're going to preach the Bible. We're not going to avoid topics that come up in our expositional studies, but we're also not going to weaponize it so we hit you over the head with our doctrine. Exactly, exactly. And so we preached. I preached there for seven years, and I kept getting his. I told the people there, I'm not a preacher. I'm a missionary. So don't be surprised if someday I say, I'm leaving. Right. And the Lord gave us an opportunity to go to China with ELIC, English Language Institute of China. I've heard of that. Very long-lasting group there. They they are in there for the long haul. Right. And we talked in China for five years. And the Lord gave us a wonderful ministry there. It was always teaching one or two people in our room, our speaking to four or five out in the, on the village, I mean the college square. And so... We had an impact there, and it was it was amazing. They don't like, I say they, meaning the government of China, they don't like foreigners to have an extended influence on the college students. Right. But those college students that I taught, they told me at the end of our time there, you have taught us more often than any other professor in our, in our school. Because it, it started out, I taught them conversational English, and then I taught... English composition. So I had that same group of kids, about about 400, that I taught for those four years. And the other was a, was a summer program. So we came home from that, and at that time, Pioneer Bible Translators needed somebody in the home office, and they called us, asked us if we'd be willing to do that. So we went down there and helped in the home office. I... I enjoyed the company. I I didn't feel like that was my calling, my talent. I I wanted to be out there. Right. You know, I had this I had this Paul notion. I want to preach where no one has gone before, where the name of Jesus has not been heard. And so I I was given an offer of another job, which said, "You have experience. Would you help us?" to train and guide the translation teams in these different countries where they're doing translation and they need somebody who's been a little bit further down the road to give them some guidance. And so I became a Bible translation consultant. Oh, what, what year would that have been? Uh, 2015, something okay, like that. Okay, so not so far back. Not so far back. Right. So from then until now, I've been doing that. And, of course, the Lord always gives us these tremendous opportunities. I had to tell our kids when they're growing up, we're not rich. We just fly a lot. (laughs) (laughs) God sends us to amazing places. And during the time I was preaching at uh, the church, I spent a couple of summers down in Mexico teaching at uh, Colegio Cristiano del Centro, Mm -hmm. Central Christian College. And I enjoyed that. But it was sort of like a placeholder while I was doing these other things. Right. And it's amazing. I don't know why God hasn't used me more in Spanish ministries because I enjoy it. I enjoy the people. But he's always drawn me back to that Bible translation ministry. And doing the consulting, I was able to go to India as well and help with a couple of translations there. Very different country. Very different atmosphere. Uh, in in uh, Papua New Guinea, 
wearing shorts with long knee socks is really dressing up. <laughs> but of course, in India, wearing a suit and tie is the appropriate thing in, in the churches there. And so I dressed up for the translation work as well. And I still am more of a jungle boy yeah. than I am a, a real cleaned up preacher here in the States. I've been, I've been teasing a lot in these podcasts I'm doing with, with the folks down here at Hickory about you're in the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you're in the deep south, you're in south Mississippi, and, mm. and uh, uh, you can't see the forest for the trees actually fits down here in some places. You know, you yes. so much, yeah. Yes. Uh, Alt had said, the Lord sent me to Mississippi so I could get out of the notion that weather has to be cool at night and fresh in the daytime like Michigan in the summer, and teach me how to live in the jungle. <laughs> so it, that was right. We came here, it was 90 degrees and 90% humidity. That's just exactly what we get when we lived in, in Papua New Guinea. Yeah, you can you can actually see the air in front of you. Yes. I grew yes. up in Arkansas, it's the same way. You yeah. just, you can actually, you, you're driving at night and you it, it's not fog, it's just the air. <laughs> You've been right. hanging there. Right. And, uh, well, something you told me, uh, we were having dinner Saturday night. I think it was Saturday night you told me about when you first said, I'm going to do this. There were a lot of questions about your education. And <laughs> and uh, if you don't mind yeah. sharing that, I think that's very good. And I think it'll be interesting and encouraging to people who might be in the same position you were in at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I... I... I have met more geniuses and more advanced degree people in Pioneer Bible Translator than any group I've ever been to. They're very, very academic. And so when I went there and applied, they said, well, you're going to need to go to Bible college. And I said, well, I know the scriptures because my, my dad constantly was reading them at the dinner table at, in the morning. He would wake us up with stories and at night tell us stories about the scripture. We would discuss doctrine around the supper table. And so I said, why not ask me a few questions and see if I know? And they went through the entire Bible asking me, well, what would you say is the main message of the book of John? And things like that to, to test my knowledge. And at the end of it, they were they were able to say, yes, we're content with that. And so I went into the Bible translation ministry without a Bible college degree, but with a great sense of longing to understand and know the scriptures. My dad was the first part of it, and he was like my undergraduate degree, and I think that my graduate degree in Bible was reading the Bible around 47 times. Wow. I haven't reached 50 yet. I'm working on that. <laughs> That's one of the things that the house church leaders in China do instead of going to seminary, which they can't since they're illegal. Right. They're told, if you want to be a minister, read the Bible 25 times. Wow. And I've never heard that. You can become a, a an evangelist under the leading and mentorship of an, a senior preacher. And how do I become a senior preacher? Well, read it another 25 times. Really? So their senior preachers have all read the Bible 50 times. So you're actually working at becoming a senior preacher for China. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, yes. And you're not very far away. No, I, I, I've come to a point in my life where I'm, I'm not able to, to go trekking into the mountains 
and slide down riverbeds in Papua New Guinea and, and cross bridges made out of bamboo. In fact, my poor knees, <laughs> they kind of wince when I even talk about that anymore. <laughs> but I'm at a point in my life where I feel like I can speak the accumulated knowledge of Scripture to life in this church. And so right. when I talk to somebody, I don't just tell them, well, I hope you get to feeling better. It'll be okay. I tell them Bible verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I tell them, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. I tell them, don't worry about your salvation because Scripture says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus sets you free from the law of sin and death. Right. And I feel like there needs to be more of that in the life of the church. We need to be speaking scriptural truth mm -hmm. to issues. Right. And yeah. so when I see tragedy, I say the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And people respond to that. Yeah. I, I wish I could write a book. I wish I could teach at a Bible college. But that's not where I'm at right now. Right. And so God has put me in this place for these people for this time. Yeah, and that's where you find yourself as serving as an elder yeah. at Antioch Church. Right. And uh, I, I think with, with your knowledge and your background that uh, it, it makes you a very unique elder. And, and uh, you know, from many elders and most elders, I guess, they're, they're farmers, they're businessmen. Uh, they may have been on a short-term mission trip. Uh, maybe, maybe. But they don't, they've not seen a worldview of the church. They, they don't have an understanding of the church outside their, their four walls. Right. And that a lot of times makes them very uh, tunnel vision in what can be done and what the church is doing. And uh, to me, this is a very positive thing for Antioch. You've got some fine elders here anyway, all, yes. all, uh, all told. But, but you're, you bring something unique to that. And uh, uh, so tell about your ministry here. What, I mean, uh, basically you're speaking scripture to your people. And uh, you're teaching. I was in your your class on, on Sunday, which you didn't get, we didn't get to finish the lesson because uh, like most good teachers, preachers, or, or missionaries, you had a lot more to say. And uh, uh, I wish I'd come back. I, I, I don't know if you're trying to stay on schedule with them or if you just go ahead and go the next week and finish that up. But, but uh, that was very good. Yeah, my ministry here is, it has to do with seeking out people who are needing a word. Okay. Needing encouragement. I, m my desire is to be a voice of encouragement and edification. And I, I feel like outside of all the experience I've had in missions, God has gifted me with the notion of seeing people who are down and being able to speak a word of encouragement and edification to lift them up. Yeah. 
I feel that's probably the most important thing. I will be continuing to teach. And in fact, in September, October, November, I'm going to do a 13-week study on prayer for the church. Oh, right here. Right here, yes, in, in the Sunday school hour. And I'm going to invite everybody, but I don't know, you know, however many people want to come. They're they're welcome. I I do add something in terms of my experience in missions. Sometimes uh, churches look at missions as a good thing to do, but don't always really grab a hold of the mission to see what they're doing, if they're dependable, if they're right. uh, accountable in many ways. And I I think that in my experience. I never received a dollar that I didn't speak to the person, either write them a letter or speak to them mm-hmm. and tell them thank you for. And I, I think that we need to be getting that from the from the missions we support here. Right. And we do for the mo- most part. Right. Uh, I think that a lot of churches don't really know what to do with those odd people we call missionaries. Yeah. They, they don't know how to support them beyond just sending them a check. And sometimes it becomes cold and calculated. Just by writing that check, we feel like we've done something important. We have. But there's more that we can do. You can get to know people mm-hmm. that are doing this ministry. And this church is pretty good at doing that. They've had people from those missions come to the church and present their work. And well, I absolutely think that's necessary. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I don't want to take up all their time when they're when they're on, on furlough. But... I think it's necessary that we need to see, and I think it's necessary that we receive letters. We were, uh, in a way, missionaries in northeast Colorado for four years, and we raised all of our own support to do new church work there. And when we would take our vacation time, our two weeks vacation, and we traveled to all the churches to let them know what we were doing. It was a very bad time economically, and we had a lot of poor people in our church, and we had to raise the funds for another year so we could live there. And it was interesting when I went to church. I was surprised. Uh, well, I guess I wasn't too surprised. But Churchill would say, we know more about the work you're doing than missionaries we've supported for 30 years. But I had been a minister in churches that sent money and didn't know what these people were doing. And, and uh, I knew what some of them were doing. And it was not really right. getting the Lord's work done. It, it was living off of the church. Yes. And uh, I don't believe that's right. And so I said, if I'm ever in that position they will hear from me. And every month, I send a letter to every supporter, a personal letter. Now, that's a, a little much. I was younger then. I had a little more energy yeah. than maybe every quarter. And in this ministry, we, we put out a newsletter just once a year. And it basically recaps, re, you know, says what we've done the last year. And it's more to share about what our ministry is about because a lot of new people are finding out. But Kristen always sends just a little letter with every support check that says this is our teams are out this is where they're at you can pray about this and she always asks and is very sincere in it if you have prayer needs let us know what those are so we can pray about that and And that's as it should be that was Kristen doing that and I really appreciated that's something I uh I would not have thought to say but but uh she put that in there and I thought uh because she's worked with missions as well before and with all the media outlets that we have, the, the social media and other means, it doesn't take much no. to, to really get something out to a lot of people. Even yeah. something like Facebook or MeWe, right. those are important for letting people know. And in fact, our younger generation, they, they depend on those for communication. I mean, 
Right. That's how I see my grandkids. <laughs> well, that, and us too. And that's why we have a, a page on, on Facebook. And uh, and we we usually put in pictures of revival we've been at. If there's been a, a baptism, there's a picture of that if, we, if we're able to get yeah. a picture. And uh, we feel like that really is the communication because we have about 25 followers on Facebook. 2,500 followers, excuse me. And uh, me, we were building. It's only yeah. about 50 or 60, but... But uh, those are good means for us to, for people to actually visually see where we're at and what we're doing. Right. Yeah. Well, Tom, I think there's one more thing I want to say about my ministry here. I think that all too often, people in the church walk around with, with mask, with yes. hidden pain, with hidden guilt, and and they suffer alone. And so I feel it's part of my task as an elder to to be aware, to be sim, uh, uh, open, to see what they're they're thinking and feeling. And and when I ask people, "How are you doing?" I always have to do it twice. How are you doing? Fine. No, really. Yeah. How are you doing? And one of the things I think that I can do in this church is stop right in the middle of the of the church service after everybody's getting ready to stand up and go out and I meet somebody like that, I take 30 seconds, a minute, and I pray specifically for that person's needs. Yes. And we don't do that enough. No. I think that's a, that's a some people call it the hidden, unused power of the church. Right. I think that more and more, I would love to see this church recognize and utilize the power of prayer and fasting. And we do need to pray when someone is speaking with us individually and says, would you pray about this? A lot of times people say yes and they go on. I say, you stand in the middle of Walmart, doesn't matter where you're at, say, well, let me pray right right now. And most people will will let you pray right then. Uh, I'm fond of saying that when people say on Facebook, would you pray about this? I don't. I don't hit the thumbs up. Uh, I don't hit the little prayer hands. Yeah. Uh, I don't do anything if I can't stop right then and pray. And then I say, I just prayed for Bob, yeah. and and uh, I want to stop at that moment so I can let them know that I have prayed for that person. And I think in church, what you said, a lot of times we say to someone, "How are you doing?" And then we get upset when they take time to tell us. Yeah, and we we ought not ask we don't know and if they start telling us and they're and and they're not doing well then we need to say can we yes. sit here and say a prayer yes. and it what how much time does that take exactly you know lunch will wait right Let, let's let's pray and if there's any place in our busy world where we need to take off the mask and be clear and transparent with each other it's in the church gathering the assembly yeah. yes and i don't mean the four walls i mean any time Christians come together more than two. Right. We should be open. And that could be at the Dollar General. Exactly. And and, uh, uh, and you could say me at the Dollar General, and you have to get specific because people don't know which one. They're all over the place. Yes, yes. But, but you can find them there, and you can and, and just stop and pray. I, I've, I, I've seen someone having a bad day who's checking people out, and I'm the last one in line. And and uh, I'll just I'll talk for for a bit, and if I if I feel like it's it's going to work well there, I'll say, could I just say a little prayer for you because someone just chewed them out for something yeah. that was really silly, yeah. 
and I could see that they're about ready to cry. Yeah, and that goes to the next thing. This sort of recognition that God is with us is the perfect means of evangelism. Yes. Because we speak a formula that the world has given us to get an interaction in a store, but then we have to stop and say, no, let's speak the words of God. Right. Let's speak a prayer, and that will let them know we are Jesus' people. Right. And if they need more than the world offers, we can be the conduit to bring them to Jesus. Yes. Let me ask you something as, as an elder. Uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do you see as... And this is a three-part question, and you can take one, two, or all three parts. I don't care. What do you, what do you believe to be the greatest challenges facing the church, individual Christians, or ministry today going forward? That's kind of, I just threw that out your code, so. Uh, <laughs> no, and in fact, I already have an answer for that. Okay. I, I think that the biggest challenge is the Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 challenge. Yes, that's good. Don't be conformed to the world. The world is a seductive <clears throat> message. Yes. The world is, well, it's the outreach of Satan. I hate to say it that bluntly, but it is. It's because who is the prince of this world if it's not Satan? And if you don't teach your kids to seek Jesus, the world will teach them to seek Satan. It's absolutely true. Yeah. And it's true for the church, for the individual, our society in, as well. If we're not constantly shaping our minds, taking every thought captive, surrendering our life, like my mother did, so that the character of Christ can be built in us, and truly the fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ. Right. Then the world is going to come along and say, no, do it your way. Do it the way everybody else is doing it. Do it in a way that gets money, gets power, gets attention. Because those are the true drawing cards of, of the world, is, is all those things that people put value on that won't last into eternity. Yeah. And so, yes, I say, be transformed. Don't be conformed. Be transformed so that when people see you, when they see our church, they see Jesus Christ. Don't be con conformed to the way of the world. And there is no vacuum there. Either, either you are being transformed into Christ or you are being conformed into the image of the world, which is right. Satan's plan. Right. No vacuum, no middle ground. Right. One or the other. That's right. And we need to decide <laughs> which which way. As for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Exactly. That's right. Well, do you, that's a good place to, 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 to stop there. But I is there anything else you might want to share before we before we close, or, or is that just as good a place as any? It is. I, I think that for me and and Alta, my wife of 52 years, we recognize every day that we have less days ahead of us than we have behind us. Yeah. 
And so we are treasuring each one. And we are asking ourselves uh, a question that A.B. McReynolds used to say, how can I make my life count more effectively for Christ? Right. That, that was a motto of, the, of his great men's meeting. And it's a motto for yeah. our life. By the way, my wife was secretary to A.B. McReynolds for a short time in the, in the late 50s. My grandfather was ordained by him. And I think 1949 at family camp in the Kaimichis. I never met him. But anyway, that's uh, another connection we have there. Yes. Yeah. Um, Well, Wes, I want to thank you for taking time to to share with us today. My pleasure. Your story is inspiring. And once again, it says to our listeners that it doesn't matter where you're at academically uh, or even... uh, in your spiritual growth, if you're if you're growing toward Jesus, uh, then He can use you. He can take you places you never thought you'd go uh, to serve in His kingdom, mm-hmm. and and I really appreciate that. We need that kind of encouragement today. And I hope our listeners, if you find this encouraging and you think you're thinking right now of somebody that that this might be helpful to, that they might really right, pick up their day and maybe give them some direction, that you will share it with them. Uh, and with your friends and co-workers in Christ. And until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye, and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain.